0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. If you hear those words and you ask yourself, but I thought God's love was unconditional, then you're paying attention. Let's read some more. The gospel continues. Verse 22 and 23 uh, bring us a similar message. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, so St. Jude the apostle, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We heard those verses together in a gospel passage last week during daily mass. As it is so much of the case during the Easter season, our gospel comes from our Lord's address to the apostles at the Last Supper. It would be easy to just skip over those verses, ignore them, Even in the traditional Mass, the Gospel readings are coming from our Lord's address to the Apostles at the Last Supper, as recorded by St. John. Later today, then, we'll hear from this pulpit, John 16, 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out of God. These readings come up periodically in in the Ordinary Mass every three years. It's this exact gospel passage. In the Old Mass, it's every single year. It's a one-year cycle. And it'd be easy to dodge it. It'd be easy to preach on many other passages that are lovely and easy. What makes it even more difficult is that if we were to go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a good first resource for understanding Scripture, we won't find John fourteen twenty one mentions. mentioned. John 14, 23 will be, but only in the context of the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have to remember the Catechism is not exhaustive. The Catechism is just a summary, a very long 800-page summary, but just a summary. If you have the nice little paperback version it's okay, it doesn't fit in your back pocket, and it doesn't have an index to save its soul, so. The heavy one with the indices in the back is much more useful, and the first of the large indices shows every single passage of sacred scripture which is quoted, or even just simply cited, let alone possibly explained in the Catechism. So whenever you come across a passage of sacred scripture that, that bothers you or sounds confusing, a good first recourse is to go to the back of the catechism and see if that passage is mentioned. A second help is St. Thomas Aquinas, whom the church urges us, and especially priests, especially future priests, to have as our guide in the matter of the sacred sciences. So bear with me as I take you through a quick tour of question 20 of the prima pars of the first part of the Summa Theologica. All concerned with the love of God. Whether love exists in God. Does he love all things? Does he love one thing more than another? Does he love more the better things? Yes, love exists in God. Yes, God loves all things that exist. In one sense, God's love is equal. In another sense, God's love is unequal. And yes, he does love more, the better things. St. Augustine will comment on these verses in the Gospel of John and bring us deeply into the life of the Trinity very quickly. But does he love us because we love him, or rather, do we not love him because he has loved us? This is what the evangelist says. So the same St. John, but in his first letter, verse 19 of chapter 4, let us love God because God first loved us. St. Augustine continues, the Father then loves us because we love the Son, it being from the Father and the Son, that we receive the love from the Father and the Son. He loves what he has made, but he would not make in us what he loved, except he loved us in the first place. St. Thomas Aquinas quotes St. Augustine and then helps us understand it more systematically. God loves everything that he created. Everything that exists is something that God created. God loves what he creates. Everything that God creates is good. Everything that God creates manifests the glory, the majesty, the love, the beauty of God. Remember when our Lord was praised by some listeners and he said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. We need to remember that God is the origin of all being. God is the origin of all goodness. Whatever he creates, he creates good. He loves everything that he creates. In one sense, God's love is equal and uniform. Because God doesn't do anything in half measure. God is perfect. Everything he does, he does perfectly. If he loves something, he loves it perfectly. By the same token, if if we understanding love to be to will the good of the other, then there is more good that God can will of a human creature than he can of an ant, let alone a pebble. We can't say God loves us the same way and in the same measure that he loves pebbles. So God's love is never 50%. God's love is perfect. God loves every created thing. He loves you more than irrational created things. There's more good that he can will to you. And so it should cause us no discomfort whatsoever to hear St. Thomas Aquinas say that God the Father loves God the Son more than he loves the whole created universe together. I would hope so. I don't feel left out. I don't feel neglected. Because I know how much God loves me. I hope God the Father loves God the Son more than he loves me. St. Thomas Aquinas even treats of the question, can we say that God hates? The answer is yes. God loves good. God loves what he's created. He created everything good. If there's good in, in something that ought to be there but it's missing, that doesn't that's not a good thing. If a good has been deformed and become wicked, corrupt, habitually acting against its purpose, that aspect of the thing isn't isn't something that God loves. Let's take it in a a different way, because as human beings, when we think of love as I'm supposed to will the good of the other, it becomes very easy or somewhat clinical to say, I love my enemies, because I can think, yes, technically, I do will that they be good. I will that they reform their lives. I I will that they be punished sufficiently, that they are sanctified and are able to go to heaven. Therefore. I will the good of my enemies. Just keep them far away from me. Instead of something quasi-transactional, let's consider love is also to delight in the being of the other. Part of this is going to make us think of the life of heaven after the general judgment. There's no more becoming in heaven. There's no more getting better in heaven. It doesn't mean heaven is simply a state of frozenness, because there is the ever-unfolding love and grace and gratitude of the life of the Holy Trinity in which we will participate And so in that sense, we will, we will know the constant love of God who gives us being and who delights in us. How often do we hear that coming from the thunder of heaven? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. To love someone is to delight in them, to delight in the fact that they exist. Recognizing, of course, everything that exists comes from God. Everything that exists reflects the glory, the majesty, the beauty of God. And so I can't really say that I love someone unless I really delight in them. By the same token, if we reduce love only to that, then I can simply say, oh yeah, they're they're lovely. I just don't want to have anything to do with them. I like to think about them, but I don't have any um, connection to them. Love can't simply be, they make me smile, and love can't simply be, I hope that good things happen to them. Let's think of what, in whom God delights. We hear it in the Gospels. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Blessed Virgin Mary. Rejoice, O favored daughter. You have found favor with God. Do any of us feel slighted that, that Mary is the cause of delight more than any of us? I hope not. And so we return then, having these Thoughts may be connected, may be disjointed. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me. This is intelligible when we first remember that, yes, God first loved us. God created us and especially as rational creatures, as human beings, God made us in the image and likeness of His Son. God first loved us and imparted to us a gift He gave no other creature. And God loves us and dies for us even when we are in sin. If we were the only soul Christ would have come and died to redeem us. That's how much God loves each and every one of us. And at the same time, those to whom he can will more good, God loves more. Those who are more like his son, give him more delight. This might help us make sense of that basic Christian command, to love your enemies, love your enemies. If we don't even try to love our enemies, we probably don't believe in Jesus Christ. We might acknowledge him, we might think he's important, we might know that we ought to believe in him fully, but if we don't even try to believe, to love our enemies... We're not even attempting to be Christian. We're simply gaining some consolations or some insights from a very important historical figure. How then do we love our enemies and love other people even more? Because we're made in the image and likeness of God. To love others perfectly is to to be willing to lay down our lives for them to will the good, every possible good that they can receive. And so there are some who will elicit more love from us. There are some who will cause us more delight, which ought to be the case. If we don't love our enemies, then it sounds like we just have favorites. But when we do love our enemies, then we realize the, the fascinating beauty of love and to love as God loves to will the good of the other, and to love everything that exists. It's a good time then to to ask the Lord to teach us how to love, because maybe we realize we, we haven't been, and to beg him to send us the Holy Spirit that God may love us and love through us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.